Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome back to another episode of City of Champions, proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, sponsored by ATB. Now, the Alberta Podcast Network is also sponsored by the Edmonton Community Foundation, a great organization which acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. One of their big initiatives this year is Vital Signs. Uh, It's an annual checkup uh, conducted by the foundation in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council to take stock of the community and issues within it. Uh, So this year, they're focusing on five topics, women, sexual orientation, and gender identity in Edmonton, visible minority women, and senior women. Women focused, which is good. Uh, Visit ecfoundation.org to find out more info. In addition to being my home, the Alberta Podcast Network is also home to a slew of other great podcasts with topics ranging from movies, art, culture and food, business and marketing, education and self-improvement, sports, politics and social issues. Uh, The list goes on and on. I apparently fall into the stories and storytelling category, which is true in some cases, I suppose, Uh, but I think overall that I touch on pretty much all of the listed genres. At any rate, no matter its categorization, I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast as much as I enjoy recording it. So speaking of enjoyable recordings, today's episode is certainly no exception. My guest is none other than Mr. Tom Gazzola, and Tom is best known for his work reporting for the Edmonton Oilers. Now, since moving on from the organization, Tom has brought his talents to the team at TSN in both producing and reporting capacities. Uh, Tom's such an enjoyable guy, um, and his path in life is really admirable. He was a huge sports fan growing up, and he's really carved out a path for himself doing something that he loves, which is obviously something that we can all learn from. And now, without further delay, I give to you Tom Gazzola. Sitting here with the ever-thoughtful Tom Gazzola. (laughs) Tom, uh, you're somewhat of a local celebrity. What do you say to that? That's funny, is what I say to that, and I don't think of myself that way, but thanks, Shane. You know, thank thank you for that uh, intro as well. I, I like to think that I am somewhat thoughtful, at least. Well, you're a sentient being, and sentient beings have thoughts pretty much 24-7, even when they're sleeping. But anyway, I digress. Um, no, you're in an interesting position, because you're obviously best known uh, for being a reporter and host with the Oilers, um, and that's a, it's a very forward-facing position. Um, you know, people recognize your face, they know your voice, have an idea of your thoughts and feelings on hockey, but like, it doesn't really give people a chance to get to know you. What's that like kind of walking around town and having people come up to you and and then realizing they're like, oh, I actually don't know anything about this guy. (laughs) It's, it's sweet. Like when people come and talk to you, I actually really like it. There are some people in the industry, you've met tons of people in, in broadcast who can be thorny when you meet them. And I remember early in my career, I can't remember who I met, but there were a few instances where you always assumed you kind of knew what type of people these broadcasters were. Mm -hmm. And then when you got up close and finally met them, they let you down. Mm -hmm. And I kind of made a promise to myself not to be that guy, that if someone actually watches you or knows your name or has heard about you or recognizes who you are, appreciate them. 
Mm-hmm. So I think I've been good at that. I still, I, I'm, I always am thankful that people do come and say hi and, and are willing to because uh, I've heard people say they're too afraid at times to, to say anything and you go, why? I'm just a dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I read and watch as much sports and news as, as you do, but uh, at the end of the day, I, I, I just get to go and talk about it for you know a minute at a time on a camera mm-hmm. or or you know in this format or, or on the radio and I, I'm no different than anyone else so I, I always appreciate when people recognize me it's cool I always thought it was really neat I still do and uh, I just hope I don't let them down like <laughs> I was let down when I was younger and, and in my formative broadcast years yeah, that's, that's an interesting, actually, topic that I wanted to touch on with you. Um, you know, what led you to broadcasting? Like, was there one defining moment where you kind of went, that's what I want to do with my life? Or was it just sort of like, you know, you pick a target, you move towards it, and it just, you evolve into that? I had no idea that I wanted to do this. I didn't think I would be any good at it. And I was playing four glorious years of junior B hockey for the Edmonton Red Wings. And... <laughs> My parents, at the end of my, my run with the Red Wings, which was awesome. I mean, some of my best friends still are from that, that team. And um, we've obviously grown up together and, and they've all, you know, have, they have families and, and some have moved away. And, but at the end of my four years, my, my parents came up to me and they said, listen, you need to figure out what you want to do with your career. Because during that tenure with the Red Wings, I was slinging tires at the Costco Tire Center. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Greasy salesman. Did you have the slick back hair back then? No, <laughs> I didn't. I think I had, uh, it was uh, during, I, I think you can appreciate this time, uh, spiked hair and frosted tips. Oh, hell yes. Yeah. Hell yes. That's, uh, so that kind of dates me a little bit, but that's where, where I was at that point in time. And, uh, you know, I was... I wasn't a great salesman, but I was more so uh, in the back, slinging the tires, putting them on on vehicles, and and I knew I couldn't do it. My back was killing me too. <laughs> I was 21 years old and thinking. Were you still living at home? I was still living in my parents, parents' basement. They, first of all, get your shit out of our house. Second of all, get your shit together. <laughs> exactly. They. I had helped build the, the finish off the basement, and uh, my bro- my youngest brother has uh, taken over that basement. He still lives there, and now he's stayed a much a much longer period of time than I did. Living the dream. He is. He really is. And and but I, they're like, you got to do something. So my dad was a social worker for forty years for the province. My mom works for Edmonton Catholic Schools. She was a teacher when she was in Poland because she's from Poland. Mm-hmm. And when she came here, she became a secretary for Edmonton Catholic Schools. So I thought to myself, maybe I could be a teacher. Then I quickly thought, I have no patience for kids <laughs> or to teach them. And yeah. and I kind of, I actually, you know, thought maybe I could do what my dad did. And if I don't have patience for kids, that's a bad thought. So I, I took, I kind of started the process. I took um, a course in uh, psychology at McEwen. Yeah. I lasted three weeks. Oh, really? That's when I came to the conclusion. I couldn't figure it out. And what What was it about it that you just didn't like or couldn't do? I, I got into the textbook. I got into the first couple of classes and I'm like, no, this is not for me. I was the polar opposite of you, like, like literally polar opposite. I sat down my third year of university, didn't know what I was going to do because I'd just done two years of business and didn't like it. Literally five minutes into my first psych class, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. Really? Yeah, but that's a good epiphany to have. Yeah, better to realize what you want to do versus just have to check something off the list and say, that's a nope. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that comes with cost and it comes with time wasted. But I'm glad I, I figured it out because it made me go back and my parents, they're obviously unhappy with me, but gave me a chance to reflect. And, and I thought to myself, I got to sit down. What do I want to do? Mm-hmm. Do I want to be someone who works in a physical job? You know, I don't want to do tires anymore, obviously, but I come from a family of uh, surprise, surprise that were construction workers slash my grandpa was a cabinet maker. Mm-hmm. My uncle owned um, his own uh, framing company and, and, and one of my uncles is a mechanic. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not that good at it. So what do I like? I found out I liked sports. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a geek for, for sports. And I thought to myself, how do I get involved in sports? And I, I knew I didn't want to be a coach mm-hmm. uh, because I know what I put my coaches through, being stubborn and, and full of myself. And I knew that I didn't want to be a manager as well. And I'm like, well, what's left? Mm-hmm. And it was broadcasting. Interesting. And I was never outgoing or witty or anything like that. Never given speeches in the, no. in the dressing room? Nope. Edmonton, was it Edmonton Red Wings? Yeah, Edmonton Red Wings. No, I wasn't that guy. But I was like, well, then I want to get paid to go to sporting events. Mm-hmm. And I applied at Nate. And I knew this, this was my shot. So I had to focus on being half decent and I sucked at the start. Like, yeah. I was terrible. I, I look back at my stuff. I just want to burn the tapes from my Nate days. It's such a rare career field because like you literally have a visual representation of how bad you were. Unlike mm-hmm. most jobs where you can kind of bury that, like bury those reports, you know, whatever needs to see that, delete the hard drive, format it. Oh. No, you're, you're stuck on tape. <laughs> it's so true. And I got lucky. I, I progressed through pretty quickly and I had the good fortune of uh, working with Gene Principe as his studio assistant while I was still at Nate. Okay. And I just, I watched Gene. I learned from Ryan Rashog and you know, as, as, People, some people don't like Gene's puns or whatever, and uh, maybe some people are of the mind that you know Ryan Rashad can be too tough on on players and coaches and stuff like that. Uh, they're two of the best sports broadcasters in this country, and whenever people scoff at that, if they do, I just say, who did men's hockey in the 2010 Olympics for our broadcast consortium? Right. It was Gene and Ryan, yeah. and they, that's for a reason. So mm-hmm. I was a sponge around those guys and helped hone my craft and didn't take long before I wound up at CTV Edmonton again, where I was still, I'd be like, oh man. Oh, I'm polished. Oh yeah, I was raw. I what, remember. What were you doing there? Anchoring sports. Yeah, on the and, weekend? On weekends, yeah. yeah. And I had just come from Lloydminster where I was anchoring news. Mm-hmm. But of course I would only send out my sports clips because late night we didn't have a sports guy. It was just me. Yeah. So I tried to hone in on that. And I remember sitting at the desk at the time with uh, for whatever reason, Josh Clausen was working the night, the late night shift with Joel Gottlieb. And I looked over at the last break. And I'm like, what am I doing here? How am I even here right now with these guys? <laughs> oh, moral dilemma just right. Moral <laughs> of, uh, yeah. So what was an example of, did you just, did you have any segments where you just bombed? Like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, more, <laughs> couple <laughs> jumps to mind. Right, yes, and, and I'm not proud of them, but they happened and, and they were like, the best learning experiences I could have. Should be proud of them, because that's what made you who you are today. Well, I mean, when you hear the first one, you're gonna be like, wow, Tom, that's impressive. And the second one happens to a lot of broadcasters. Mm -hmm. The first one was in Lloyd, 
uh, we had a skeleton staff because it was during the the first like economic downturn around 2008 Mm -hmm. and basically I was I was there as an intern but they were down to zero reporters like I met their one general assignment reporter on her last day before she took a job at City TV in Calgary I believe so she kind of showed me the ropes I shadowed her around a bit and she goes okay good luck you're now the, the field reporter you're the guy and I'm like I uh, just came from Nate yeah but uh, okay so I get sent on an agriculture story my second or third week my news director God bless her Stacy Comer uh, had enough trust to send me out to do an egg story and of course when she asked me to do it I, I confidently said yes What's an egg story? Agriculture. Oh, we egg. just called it egg. Yeah. And um, our agricultural reporter was not available to do it, so I stepped in. And uh, this is your shot, Tom. You got this. Right into a, a farm in Saskatchewan because in Lloyd you cover both sides of the border about an hour each way mm-hmm. outside of Lloyd. So we were east to the Battlefords and west all the way out to around Vagerville. You could probably pick up the signal. And anyway, so I'm out on this farm and they sent me to do a story on fertilizer. And I go and I do it. I think I rattle off this two and a half minute story. I I feel like I nail it, talk to this farmer and then this guy who produces fertilizer. And uh, the next day I get called in to the news director's office and she goes, hey Tom, come on in. I'm like, all right, maybe just a status update on how things are going. Pat on the back, yeah. maybe? Yeah, I must have crushed it. And, and she starts off soft. She goes, Tom, you know, you did a good job with that egg story yesterday. You know, you, you got the facts right. You got the message across. All of that was great. But and I'm like, uh-oh, what is it? She goes, what the hell is potash? <laughs> and I, oh, and I honestly, in all <laughs> seriousness, yeah. I looked at her, I'm like, it's fertilizer, Stace. It's how they make fertilizer. Like, duh. And she yeah. goes, potash? Really? Potash. You said it like 15 times in the story. <laughs> and I looked at her blindly, I'm like, then what is it called? Yeah. She goes, potash, you idiot. Fuck. That's <laughs> and, and I was just so embarrassed. And You're a big city Edmonton guy. How are you supposed to know what difference between but- potash and potash? <laughs> There is, and to my defense, there's a broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Penguins named Dan Potash. Oh, okay. It's not like I really knew who he was at the time, but um, yeah, I was pretty embarrassed. And and the editors didn't catch it or they were just, you know, playing a mean prank on me. What would they have done if they caught it? They'd tell me to revoice it. Oh, okay. Which which should have happened, but even, even when it made the first cycle on the first show, it nobody caught it made me revoice i lived like a block away from the station i could have come back and done it and it just kind of fell through uh the second one quickly was my first uh six o'clock at ctv edmonton and we had eskimo stampeder highlights Mm -hmm. and i had a sound a clip of sound to play from one of the big plays in the game and in the control room they didn't roll the tape when the cue came in Mm -hmm. And then so I was stuck on camera waiting for this clip to play. And I've got Joel Gottlieb going, come on, read, read, read. I'm like, no, there's a sound up, there's a sound up. And in my ear, they're like, oh shit, it's not playing, it's not playing, hang on, hang on. And then I've got the floor director going, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there looking at my scripts going, uh, uh, okay, um, 
for like 15 seconds. <laughs> and and I didn't know if it was deliberate. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. But uh, I, right before we got to that sports segment, we were coming out of commercial. Joel Gottlieb goes to me. He goes, hey, good luck. You know, I know it's your first six o'clock. I'd done the late night the night before. Mm-hmm. Smoothly, went well. And uh, he goes, are you nervous? And I go, well... My grandparents have only watched this show for the last 50 years since they came off the boat from Italy. <laughs> and that happened. And my buddies saved it. They they PVR'd the show. And when I went to a party a couple weeks later, they played it for me. And Amazing. I couldn't, I couldn't look. You're going to have, uh, by the end of your career, you're going to have a Tom's Greatest Hits. <laughs> it's going to be a hell of a highlight reel. Oh, I'm sure it's <laughs> out there already. Um, what, like, do you get training on what to do in moments of like missed cues and mixed signals? And like, like is it just every man for himself? You, you do. I'm, the best way to learn from them is to go through them. Right. But in that instance, it wasn't just one thing went wrong. It was a miscommunication. Something happened in the control room where they couldn't fire the, the, the clips. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it had audio off the top instead of me just reading confute, made it uh, even more complicated. Right. So that one... The only way it was unavoidable was if everything, if if the video played and say they didn't put my mic down or something like that. And I remember Adam Cook, who was training me at the time, was in studio and I didn't make a single mistake after the, the highlight package. Right. So I came out of it smooth and he just put his arm around me and he goes, wow, they really fucked you on that one. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, yeah, but Adam, the rest of it went fine. He goes, yeah, but wow. What could you have done smoother in that situation? Just waited and just not said a not million times. Up, yeah. I but mean, that fear must like that fear and panic just grips you and totally paralyzes your brain. It takes you, it takes you from a you know an adult human being to like a child, and you have no idea what's going on. Right? That's right. the perfect way to describe it. You, you you don't know, and I had gone through all kinds of situations anchoring news in Lloyd. Because you bring in new producers and directors and stuff, and, and, and it's their first go, most of them as well. So mistakes would happen. Mm-hmm. and But you're so comfortable in that setting because you're the veteran there that you would you know wait on camera until it rolled. Or if it wasn't rolling, you'd start reading off your script or, or you would just patiently wait and wait and wait mm-hmm. until they said, okay, just go on to the next story or read off your script or hang on, we got it. Right. Whereas, you know, you're, you're in this uncomfortable environment, your first six o'clock show in your hometown. Cameras, not just audio, this shit's easy. Oh right? yeah, and, and you're <laughs> like, what is going on? And it was uh, startling, but I learned from it and didn't, didn't seem to hamper my, my trajectory, if you will. Yeah, exactly. It, it, the more uncomfortable situations you've been in, it pushes your, your comfortability boundaries and you just, you're easy better able to react in situations yeah. and the viewer at home goes ah look at this idiot yeah like, and then they laugh about it you make everyone feel good at your expense that yeah. was really nice of you to like, like really bur- take that burden from them oh man i hate that one. <laughs> i hate that one bad so as you're as you're coming up through the ranks um you know what's it like developing an on on air personality like do some people go completely opposite of what their natural personality is do some people like you seem like yours was pretty much in line of what you're naturally like off off camera i think i tried to do that mm-hmm. and and i think it went back to those first instances with people that i assumed were one way but off camera they were different mm-hmm. and i like to think that yeah you know i'm pretty easy going 
off camera, but there's still a way to be comfortable and, uh, you know, somewhat loose when you're, you know, doing your business on TV mm -hmm. or on the radio. Uh, you got to find that voice kind of, and it, and it took some time. I, I remember times, especially first starting out where people said like, can you not relax a little bit? It looks like your dog just died <laughs> when you did your hit. Did you fuck with them and go, my dog did just die also? <laughs> no, I didn't have- Just kidding, he said relax, so I relaxed. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it, you kind of have to find yourself and you have to get comfortable in front of a microphone and a camera and, and it doesn't just happen overnight and as good as you think you are, you're never as good as you think you are and as bad as you think you are, you're never that Somewhere bad. Somewhere in between there, right? And, and you just come to a point where you stop caring that much because you know you're capable of delivering and you've, you've found that healthy balance and, and, and yeah, I like to hopefully convey that persona of just being another dude who likes sports, drinking beers, and yeah. chasing girls as uh, as much as the next guy that does it on a construction site, and I, right. I you know, if if people like yourself are seeing that, then I'm assuming you're not the only one, and and that makes me happy to to know that I'm able to accomplish that to a certain extent. Were there any particular guys that you or girls that you modeled your sort of personality or the way you conducted yourself, either on camera or off camera? Um, off camera, Gene Principe, 100%, nicest guy in the world. Mm -hmm. And and I really took to that because, you know, at the end of the day, what you're doing isn't that important. I get to talk about sports mm -hmm. for like, what, five minutes? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's important to people and viewers who are looking for that information and and are watching and investing that time. Mm -hmm. So they, they want to be informed and, and entertained. So it's important to them, but uh, Gene Gene was good at um, being like, just be nice to everybody. Yeah, you know, be nice to everyone in your industry as well. I know it's a dog eat dog industry, but people don't like the assholes in this industry, and they're the ones that generally don't get ahead mm -hmm. for being jerks. And and then the other guy I looked at was Ryan Rashog because he's concise. Uh, he doesn't BS that much. Informative, and. and he's sharp so I, I tried to find like a balance I'm like well I could be a little bit like Gene I could be a little bit like Ryan if I can combine and be like a yeah. hybrid I'm like this in my mind is a good way to go about it yeah. so I tried to go that route yeah Gene's an interesting case because I remember like you know when first when I first started watching him kind of like you're like come on are you serious this guy like really mm -hmm. you just like you just warm up to him so quick and like he ends up being like your your uncle right the guy who just makes the corn like the obvious corny <laughs> joke and you can't help but laugh but but then like everything he delivers too is is um succinct and it's and it's important it's just delivered in an interesting way and that's his thing and yep. like i don't know him off camera but i i'd imagine he's pre pretty similar in terms of just being that like that relatable you know friendly guy 100 percent. his guards down and uh he treats you like you're his friend as soon as you meet him and, and that, that's a huge thing that I learned. Just he's very warm and welcoming and, and helpful too, to anybody, you know? Sometimes, here's an example, like a fan, you know, takes to you and, and you meet them and they say, hey, can you get this signed for me? Mm -hmm. In media, especially in sports media, you're not supposed to get stuff signed. It's, no, no. it's a no-no. Yeah. Um, but it's not common knowledge, really. Mm -hmm. You know what? Gene will find a way to try and help. Mm -hmm. He might say, "Well, I, I don't know if he's done this, but 
this is how he would go about it. He'd go, listen, I can't do it for you spe- specifically, but listen, I can find the PR guy, let's say, and right. bring him over and maybe he can talk to the player and get it done for you. He's yeah. that kind of guy. He's he's willing to help out at all costs. And and uh, I, I got to a point where I just started saying no to even my friends. I'm like, I can't get, like, listen, it's I'm not It's a slippery putting, slope, yeah, right? Like, I'm you not putting put- myself in that situation. Yeah. Um, like I get inundated with asks and stuff like that too and it's just like you don't want to say no because you want to be a nice guy but it's just like you can't take advantage of of a particular position that you're in especially if it's privileged right yeah so I have a good gene story really quick too when I was a studio assistant I would get him game notes tea even set up interviews Mm -hmm. work with the PR guys for both teams then I got to go in and do post game interviews for Sportsnet which was amazing great experience Mm -hmm. But one night, I can't remember what team the Oilers were playing, but it was supposed to be like a, a chippy night. And the team, it might have been a Calgary game where, you know, things got out of hand the game before and it was expected to get that way again. He actually made me go run to one of the concessions at Rexall and get tinfoil from him. And he foiled up for the pregame intro. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember that. I'm like, I can't believe I need a prop, run. Tom. Yeah. Give me a prop. He's like, can you go see if they have uh, tinfoil at the concession? Yeah, this guy's berserk, but okay. Yeah, like how you know how far in advance does he have those shticks planned out? Sometimes weeks, sometimes sometimes days, sometimes right on the spot. It's amazing how well he coordinates. He get I've seen him get other teams PR guys get him all kinds of props. Yeah, and uh, he's got a plan of attack for all of it. He puts a lot of thought into that stuff most of the time. It's impressive how. prepared he is for every single game mm-hmm. what are um well, i got a couple questions that are jumping to mind but what what are some of the challenges with with your job as a reporter producer host um that most people wouldn't know about um i think the misconception about that kind of job is how much of the work is actually done when you're not on camera mm-hmm. or you're not in front of a microphone and you're you're working with you're dealing with PR guys and trying to negotiate time with players outside of the allotted you know you get your standard 15 minutes after a morning skate mm-hmm. uh, you're working on other projects at the same time we worked on a few different documentaries during my time at Oilers TV oil change and stuff oil, like that yeah we helped out the oil change crew and we did the farewell Rexall place and the 1984 Stanley Cup reunion mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the legwork is done probably 90% of it behind the scenes and then that that 10% where you get to actually be on camera and do your shtick mm-hmm. is uh, such a small portion of it but I learned to embrace that part of it because that's the fun side of course after you get over the fear of messing up and you get to that comfort comfort level you, yeah you're just like okay let's have some fun with yeah. this and I think that's where I stopped looking like my dog had died on camera <laughs> <laughs> yeah you relish those opportunities yeah. versus get scared about them right? exactly we're so fortunate to be in industries that you can do that like that even that 10% of our job is the fun part right 100%. a lot of like for for the documentary world too like 90% of the work is like boring shit on my computer and then like you know five percent of it is actually going out and on shoots and then the other five percent is getting to premiere it and show it to the world and like that's so fun but like it's not always like that totally so many jobs in the world never even get that 10 percent fun you know it took me a while to appreciate that and you're right like yeah you get to do premieres and the traveling all around and stuff it it it's just it's the cherry on top but there's a lot of crap you got to deal with Mm. 
just to get that small portion of fun. Yeah. And you're dealing with humans, a lot of humans with a like a lot of different feelings and emotions in an emotional industry. Like, like that's gotta be a lot to juggle constantly 82 times a year plus right like (laughs) and there were a lot of uh angry times a lot of bad times in your in your day a lot of bad hockey a lot of angry people that uh you had to find ways to still work with at their worst Mm -hmm. and when they were at their best and in good spirits you embrace that too um but yeah it's it's the the personalities you deal with and the building the rapports with them that's a big thing too and trust and mm-hmm. um and that you can't just walk in and be like hey i'm the new guy uh, yeah. why isn't every player on this team wanting to talk to me why won't the captain give me the time of day yeah you need to build that trust and rapport because it's it's all about the personalities and, and you're right the relationships you have with everyone that's a huge part of that's i should have mentioned that in the last answer but i'm glad you brought it up <laughs> we'll, we'll always get there one yeah. way or another yeah um i was gonna say like it's got to be hard to to juggle like once you do get that trust and that and that personal um, rapport with someone like you also have to maintain it right so some, I'm sure there's situations where you get you know something of an answer that might be a little too personal or, or you know that they're going through something and you wish that you could convey that to the fans but then at the same time you feel the responsibility to to protect the player in a sense right yep. like how do you, how do you walk that line of like narrative versus you know uh, personality in person personal space yeah it, working for the team you had to certainly uh slant a certain way mm-hmm. um there were st- still instances where you know you couldn't completely hide stuff because the truth was out there so you had to approach it a different way and we tried to do it as respectfully as we could without damaging any relationships or or um people's uh credentials uh and, and the body of work that they've done over time mm-hmm. but then at when you're on working like now working with tsn you're back to your reporter roots your instincts your, your journalistic integrity mm-hmm. things like that but you still have to weigh both sides of it the same way mm-hmm. and however you know the good thing is on that side you have assignment editors and people working at the network that say no we have to go with this they make that decision okay and it's and it's you that has to tap dance your way around getting the clips or the information mm-hmm. necessary to get that message or that story out and at the same time because you're on the ground dealing with players management coaches stuff like that you don't want to hamper your relationship or, or harm it while you're trying to get the story out good or bad uh when it's bad it's harder to do yeah. when it's good it's easier to do but um, there's a fine line that has to be walked and you're right like you're privy to all kinds of things but you got to be selective in, in what gets out how you convey it and yeah. not damage things further yeah so like the one that always fascinates me is like you know the rumor mill and it's like some guys seem to be right on top of the rumors and and they're they're you know right nine times out of ten kind of thing and it's just like how do you you know how do you speculate without being the boy who cried wolf kind of thing yeah. yeah. You know what's changed that? It's Twitter. The, the Twitter world. Because there used to be fan forums. and uh, Was it Eklund's blog? Was was a big rumor mill for a while. Okay. And now, outside of you know four or five guys around the league, in the NHL specifically, who's, who's breaking all these things now? Yeah. It's not the local newspaper guys anymore. Mm-hmm. 
either the team gets it out through their social media feeds yeah. before everyone else, or Bob McKenzie, Darren Drager, Elliot Friedman, John Shannon, uh, sometimes, you know, Nick Kiprios. Mm-hmm. There's just a Pierre LeBron. There's like a handful of guys out of the hundreds of men and women that cover the league that actually funnel that stuff out there. Yeah. So when they put something out there, they've kind of been given the clearance that you can put this out there. And those guys are sleuths, like they're on it. Yeah. And uh, the GMs or executives from teams know that. And I think they're fed stuff. Yeah. But those those guys are so good at filtering what's um, what's right and what's wrong, <clears throat> what's uh, truth and what's myth or misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that that's why I think that they've you know risen to the top, and that's why they become the trustworthy go-to sources of breaking information. Which again, you know, seems to be quite controlled now. Yeah, there's got to be like premeditated information release, right? Like, yeah. oh, we're gonna say this, and we think this will be the expected result. You know, whether it's misdirect or or you know, I like I've heard stories of teams breaking things. You know, so and so is on the trading block just so they don't have to go out and publicly say it. And then all of a sudden, you know, a, a, another GM will hear that and then start calling to inquire. So you maintain that position of power because it's like, you're not the one reaching out saying, hey, what would you give me for say Cam Talbot? Cause that story just came out actually <laughs> yeah. today or yesterday. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure that kind of stuff happens, right? All the time. Oh, it's incredible the behind the scenes stuff. Smoke and mirrors. Oh man. And, and then, you know, and then you get friends always looking for inside information and it's like, uh, what do I, what do I tell them? Because you don't want to seem like you're out of the loop. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, well, listen, <laughs> what, do, what are you hearing? And then you kind yeah. of break it down. Well, you kind of go backwards from there without giving them too much. You, you can kind of, okay, it's like uh, multiple choice. Yeah. You know, you can eliminate this one and this one. Those other two, you might be onto something. Right. People love that. People just oh. love being in the know, though. It makes no objective difference to their life. What happens, <laughs> no. whether they know it today or next week. Like, it's just, it's so interesting to know. But I mean, that's just, I think that's just our, our biological impulse. Like, we like to be part of the social group. We like to have the information. Right? Exactly. And people love to be the one to disseminate that information, too. Uh, I, I have some friends that would always ask for inf- inside information. And, you know, I'd provide them with something. And I, the, thing that always bothered me is some of them would fight with me on that and be like no i didn't hear it. that's not happening yeah. that's not true and i go oh my god why do you even ask me if you're not going to believe me and then the thing happens like yeah. two or three days later and they go well well i didn't hear it from you tom like go back in your text messages or, or, <laughs> or, or like jog back in your memory yeah. um and then the ones that uh even you when you do give them some information and the thing does unfold the way you say they come back at you and go, um, they get mad because they didn't like, you know, the result of what happened. And you're yeah. like, well, I told you this was going to happen because yeah. you asked me. Shot the messenger. Kind Why of are you mad at me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny because the more you know, it's almost like the more challenging it is to even have discussions with people. Totally. Because you're like, you're trying to, you're trying to justify certain moves or certain, you know, uh, realities of the team and people just want to simplify it down. And you're like, you know, it's, it's not that simple. Like these are real people with lives and problems and issues and, and, um, you know, they, they get tired and they get grumpy and they get pissed off. Like, so I'm always so careful to like when, you know, someone says, Oh, such and such player is an asshole. 
you're like, okay, well, like, what? You met him one time, like, out at the bar. Like, do you think maybe that you were, like, the 30th, like, stupid fan that walked up to him mm-hmm. and, and said something witty that you thought was great at 1 a.m. at the pint? Like, right. come on. You yeah, know? that's true. You know, and, and it's just, like, it's. I, I think the thing that came out with McDavid and, and those fans that were harassing him is, like, such an eye-opening experience for a lot of fans to be like, holy shit, these guys, like, they get harassed, right? Yep. Like, it's... And it, how can you expect them to be warm and open to everyone when they have to be on guard all the time because they get this stuff occasionally, you know? A hundred percent. It's, oh, it, I mean, you get paid a lot of money, you get to do something everyone wishes they could, but there are negatives. And, and maybe, you know, as, as fans or, or from the outside, we don't, in general, people don't get to see that side of it. You're right. It is an eye-opener, but best player in the world gets tripped in his hometown by fans. Mm-hmm. I'm sure those guys love him when he scores a hat trick, but the team was on a terrible run last year and they, they gave him the gears when he was with his mom and dad. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Like it's, it just, it's and it doesn't, look. it doesn't look good on, yeah. on, on the fans. And I cringed when I watched that and I'm like, ah, oh, come on. But it happens. And it, it's mm-hmm. not just here that it happens. It happens everywhere. Yeah. Can you imagine playing for the Cleveland Browns right now? Or, just, or ever well I mean they are better this year but over the last you know X amount of years so some buddies and I were talking about this and like what drives people to be um, such hardcore fans even through such like terrible slumps like you you, you know you were as close as anyone in those bad years because yeah. you were with the team from what like 2010, 2010 to, to, to this uh, February. Right. So you're, you're the back half of the decade of darkness, right? Yeah. It's like the worst of the worst. Like what, you know, how, how, do, the, how do the fans even stick around? I don't know. The, the fans here, uh, I have to say, are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, these, they don't invest just their like love and affection for a team they want to win. They pour a lot of money a lot of money into the team and the reason why the team's here and has a new building right well i mean and now downtown's booming which is great but um it's because of the fans they've they've kept them here and part of it i think here specifically is because edmonton is generally isolated from everywhere else the next closest big city is calgary where's that never heard of three yeah three hours south of here Mm -hmm. you know it's not a hop skip and a jump away and uh then you know flights i know flights are quicker but you're still far away from other places and we only have one major uh league sports team i love the eskimos just as much as everybody i'm invested in them i get to be a fan or i got to be a fan for uh, a long time that was my escape going to those games with my buddies but it, it doesn't have the same cachet as an nhl team and we all know the hockey culture here and i think all of that funnels into how committed the fan base is here and then what the team did over its first, you know, eleven or twelve NHL seasons is that left a massive impression on everyone. Yeah, I just always wonder how how much goodwill does that have banked up? You know, like how many how many how many years, how many generations of fans? Like, because you know, the fans that grew up with that are you know getting older, and they've taught their kids to love the team. Hopefully, and we've seen sparks as in 06 and twenty fifteen. Uh, 2016 yeah 16 17 16 that we went to uh the you know went to the playoffs at least and it's you know how how long does that last right and you're starting to hear that now like there was some grumbling about the centennial greatest team Mm -hmm. event and and when when you're part of the organization like what what's the organization what's oeg gonna do really like they 
that was voted on by three and a half million fans. Yeah, that around. was an NHL thing. Exactly. And it's been bestowed upon the organization. Mm-hmm. And you truly have probably the most impressive gathering of players at one time on a team. I know there's arguments for the Habs and the Islanders were great. Same modern era though, you know. Yeah, and, and so you are dubbed by the fans of the league in a hundred years the best team. Yeah. So they did something with it. I thought they did a great event um at, at rogers but uh you're right like when i was in the 90s and early 2000s the oilers weren't very good no they they would scrape their way into seventh or eighth place and then lose in the first round or they've made the miracle run against uh dallas in the first round then beat colorado the next year in the first round but really they were pretty mediocre they couldn't keep players here mm-hmm. and a lot of my friends didn't like the oilers they, they were the butt end of jokes they liked pittsburgh they liked Really? Uh, I didn't live here at that time, so yeah, I didn't get that perspective. Yeah, there, I had tons of buddies that, um, you know, if you were an Oiler fan, it was kind of like you were on the outside. Mm-hmm. And I liked the team at the time. I'm like, no, Doug Waite's my favorite player. Yeah. You know, I, I liked Bill Ranford. And then when they got Curtis Joseph, I was like, this goalie is amazing. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, like the Chicago's of the world before they went into the tank were popular. I remember when. Winnipeg moved to Phoenix. Everybody was buying Phoenix Coyotes jerseys because they were so different. It was almost like an anybody but Edmonton thing if you're from the city. So, but maybe the cachet from the glory years had worn off for the young kids because they weren't young enough or they weren't old enough to remember the the good teams. Yeah. And uh, and then yeah, and the, the before the well, the decade of darkness kicked in, but. Things, you know, spark the the love for the Oilers did respark when they went to the cup final. Yeah. That's legitimate. 100%. And people my age started to jump back on the wagon. Yeah. I wonder, um, it'd be an interesting, like, objective study on, like, the impact of winning versus losing over a long period of time and, and what that does to viewership numbers and fan numbers. Like, a buddy and me were just talking the other day about, uh, how the attendance at Major League Baseball games takes a hit when a player gets busted for PEDs. Hmm. And the bigger name the player, the bigger hit the attendance takes. And if it's some nobody, then player, fans don't really care. Right. But they said he said that the study showed that typically the fans will start to come back before the player has even done a suspension. So you do see a dip. And like this kind of study would not be impossible, right? To to look at attendance numbers to you know over the years versus their win record. You could even get real deep and go win ver- or home versus away records. Right. I, you know, if there's any economists out there that uh, want us <laughs> want a side project to work with Tom and Shane on, I think we should we should look into this because it, it'd be interesting, right? Like, and if you looked over a long enough period of time, I don't know how long they've been keeping attendance records for, but you could see like a long time. you know how how much of a bump do you get from a Stanley Cup and how much of a bump do you get from a first round appearance or second round and how's that impacted versus like if you haven't made the playoffs in the last 10 years or if you've made the playoffs every year and then went further one year like and I mean there's so many variables you could you can analyze you could Mm -hmm. do not only attendance but you could do merchandise sales you could you know size of market other teams that you're competing with yeah Cause how much attendance goes up in cities that you play away games in, right? Yeah. Because like, I'm sure there's a measurable impact. I heard a story that uh, that back in Slats' day, he used to uh, 
he used to say that it was unfair that other teams got the revenue from their home games, <laughs> like teams that didn't get any anyone at their games until the Oilers went. And he's oh. like, we want a piece of that pie. Like we we deserve some of that. Sure. It's our team that's generating the revenue. Oh, and then the tide. It's funny how the tides turned on that. You know, nobody was showing up in the early '90s after the team was decimated and yeah. torn apart. Yeah, exactly. You'd only get people showing up for Pittsburgh and right. probably Vancouver and, and of course Toronto, Montreal. And it's funny because if you're in if you're in a Chicago, Boston, New York, uh, Dallas, like anywhere where they have four plus franchises mm-hmm. all competing for that same piece of fan pie mm-hmm. in terms of revenue and and bringing them into the building and buying the the merchandise, it's tough. Like you got to be on your toes uh, as an organization. And and we saw in Chicago once they went into the tank, that building's big enough to hold 22,000 people and in the mid 2000s there was like 7,000 people at the United Center they almost have to close up the entire upper bowl right oh my god and and maybe a more recent example and a good one is is Ottawa right now Mm -hmm. you know they were a game away from the cup final two years ago obviously they've gone through a lot of turmoil on and off the ice since and they they closed off portions of the upper deck last season and took a ton of heat for it but Mm -hmm. at the same time those tickets were for sale and nobody was buying them and the building wasn't as you know they had uh relatively low attendance especially for a canadian market but in general compared to the rest of the league so i think it has a huge impact success of the team and then yeah and you have to be aware of what's going on off the ice as well that can have a massive impact too yeah for sure but you know they say there's no such thing as bad press so i mean i don't know shouldn't that have generated some you know more interest in the team well if people want to watch them take a beating you know but like here here is like one of the rare exceptions where it doesn't the fans stick behind they'll grumble yeah they'll let you know how they feel yeah and uh i've I've heard it but they still show up and they still buy 12 dollars 50 beers and they still buy the new jersey that the team unveiled um, and they still buy the hats and everything and they get them for their kids and they still, you know, fly the flags. But, uh, I think here is like one of the rare places where no matter what they'll, they'll be there. And the fans here deserve a better team. Mm-hmm. They truly do. Cause they yeah. put up with, it's, it's coming up on two decades of mediocre hockey. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, and just in terms of like, yeah, analyzing say attendance numbers too like Edmonton and I, I might be wrong now but at least for the last few years it was correct but has the lowest percentage of season tickets that are corporate season tickets yeah um, you know I think like a lot of rinks in a lot of cities now will sell out based primarily on just like corporate ticket holders right like yeah they don't care if people go or don't go but it's just it's a write-off for their sales team and and so it's an easy thing, but I think like the the bigger percentage of fans here are individuals who buy tickets and probably held tickets for decades now. Oh, totally. I know so many people that they, they go in on say two to four seats here, but they have to buy with their friends. They're yeah. not just outright buying them themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, yeah, they just jump up the games. Yeah. You see Sid, I'll see OV. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Sports seems to bring out the best and the worst in people. Like, this is such an interesting theme to me, like, psychologically. Like, and it's just so fascinating because, like, why? Like, what Like, what are you objectively, like, gaining from this? Like, it's, it's, it's pure, like, tribalism, right? A hundred percent. And I think people love that quick fix of adrenaline, like, that rush of 
you know, I associate myself with said team mm -hmm. and if that team's successful on any given night, I'm happy. Yeah. And and it's it's and it's natural and instinctual and I don't think you force yourself to be happy, but because you like that team, you get that small boost of yeah. whatever. And um and then the same effect on the opposite side happens when a team loses. <laughs> I, I I always made the joke that I could tell when the team, you know, when people were happy with the team or upset with the team because I would, you know, go to a restaurant or a coffee shop and uh, you could tell people were upset and I would hear them, overhear them talking about the game last night or, or they were in good spirit. Like, I, I don't think the city's had a better party in a long, a great cup was great, mm -hmm. I have to say, but... Um, yeah, you enjoyed yourself. Eh? I did enjoy myself. <laughs> I had the good fortune of running into you, and I know you, you had a crew of people having a good time as well. <laughs> uh, and that's that's Canadianity at its finest, and, mm -hmm. and you know they call it the National Drunk for a reason. And the city did a hell of a job putting that on. But going back to you know sports teams, uh, the playoffs in in twenty seventeen, when no, twenty sixteen from it? the sixteen seventeen season, right? Yeah, yeah. and I mean. I remember when we come back from, you know, a game in Anaheim or San Jose and you know, the team had won, everyone was pumped. Everyone was in good spirits and there was just this buzz in the city. And after the run, you know, ended, unfortunately, the way it did, I would talk to people around town and this, the, the same storyline would come out. Uh, people would be like, man, that was amazing. You know, the, the highs and lows of it, the rush. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm sad that they're out and I'm happy what they've accomplished, but my body and my wallet couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, every time I'd be like, well, what was, because when you're, you're covering the team, you're in the, you're, you're back and forth between cities. Right. And then you, you come, you come back to town and everything settles down and I'm going, well, what was going on? Like, I know people are, filling up the bars and restaurants in the city to watch the game. And I know they're having drinks and stuff because that's what you do. And that's the best part about sports is being, you know, in it, in it and enjoying it, the, the splendor of it all. Um, but I'm like, the amount of people that kept saying the same thing. And I was like, well, what time would you get to a sports bar? And they'd be like, ah, I had to go early. early. Yeah, the, one o'clock in yeah. the afternoon. Yeah you know, two o'clock, one o'clock, and we'd be there till the end of the game and then sometimes pass the game if they want. I'm sitting, I'm like, you're doing like nine hour shifts here. Yeah. 10 hours, especially with the eight, the eight o'clock starts. I think there was a few 8.30 starts because all the games were in California when the team was on the road. I was sitting there going, oh my God, this is amazing, but holy smoke, like, yeah. Good on these fans. People always find something to complain about, right? Uh, yeah, it's. I uh, complain we're not winning, and then once we're winning, I'm so glad it's over. I can't take it anymore. My poor <laughs> body. We just had so much pent up, like totally like, partying, ready for us to to break out, like for so many years out of the playoffs. And I said that at one point. I'm like, I don't think the city can sustain like playoffs every year. Like, it'd be great if we could, but you know, but uh, the energy and the excitement around the team is, was so incredible. And even like, even leading up to the playoffs too, like being in the hunt, like, like actually like having games be relevant. Like I was at the game on Tuesday and my first game of the year, so I'm one to know this year. Which is <laughs> nice. But, they had to uh, score twice. I had to score twice. Yeah, I have to say, I was right on that side that the puck went in. It was it was tough to tell, and um, but having the game be relevant in winning because so many games last year, like we were already out of it, right? It's garbage time, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's just like 
I don't know, it just it affects us and it shouldn't, but it does. It affects us in such a profound way. And it's, you know, for anyone who says they don't, you know, follow sports or, or, or you know, follow the Oilers, it's just like you're, you're missing out on such a like a big and impactful part of your life. And so like at least so many of my biggest life moments are based around sports and mm-hmm. specifically hockey, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, I don't know, like I guess some people aren't raised in it. They don't, they don't get it. Like they never played. They don't. True. But I mean, it's such for the fans here, there's an emotional investment. Yes. There's a monetary investment as well. And it's always one of the, it's what everybody's talking about. And I think that comes back to being in such a remote part of the world. Um, it's all we have. Yeah. I mean, and listen, I, I did news for two years and by the time I was out of it and finally got my first real shot at sports Mm -hmm. it's depressing to hear about like economics the economy and the the peaks and valleys of that and uh crime and and death and because a lot of news isn't good news Mm -hmm. you know usually you're talking about bad stuff that's happening and then when you do talk about some good things charity work this and that amazing stories of you know uh, scientists and, and doctors saving lives. Usually, those are fluff pieces, right? And people, oh, that's that's great, but you know. But like, there's never there's never a headline that's eye catching that says like a hundred thousand people didn't die from starvation today. You know, like exactly. that, that's not news because when things go according to plan, that's just the plan. Like things like get screwed up, and that's news because it's out of the ordinary. Totally. And you know, I I don't watch the news particularly because you know. The few times I ever turn it on, it's like thirty seconds. I'm like, "Well, that's shitty." <laughs> See ya. Like another pothole story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why? Well, or or worse, you know, like you hear about so much stuff that really, like, okay, it's cool, it's fun to hear about Trump and complain about him, but like, as a Canadian, why would I ever pay attention to that? Like, how is it impacting my life yeah. in any positive way, at least, right? Other than bringing me down. Well, I, and that's a that's a good way of looking at it and, and kind of but people get again they get wrapped up in the emotion and the entertainment value it's like that it's that little hit of something and 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 then they start talking about it and people have different views and then it just sparks debate and anger and frustration and it's almost like people work themselves into a frenzy and and can't take that take that step back and look objectively and be like why do i care yeah like you just described yeah um I think you just have to be so careful with what you put into your to yourself like you know what you consume because you know it it can it can distract you like people bickering over like the antics of trump is just so meaningless at the end of the day like if we're gonna have a conversation about it's good to have debate and dialogue sure but typically like there's two people talking at each other instead of discussing (laughs) with each other and you know if we're gonna have a dialogue like let's let's talk about ideas like let's talk about a philosophy or like ways of living like Mm -hmm. you know the, the the meaningful stuff and it's just all you know it just all seems like a distraction oh totally and maybe I, that's I, sports too i don't know yeah but i think it it's a more oh, i think the payoff in sports is obviously way better and it's more genuine you can't win that game yeah right? yeah and you can't win the politics game. no i mean yeah politics and religion those conversations you're just like oh my god why did i even fall into this <laughs> discussion but yeah yeah there's always that you know, you always want to have hope, and that's where where sports is amazing and communal, tribal, all that stuff. I think that's the lure to it. Do you see, um, like you said earlier, like you got to be pretty polished when you're on air. 
you know, whether you're news, whether you're sports, like, do you ever see a time where like people are eventually like, cause as soon as the cameras stop rolling, you're probably just so relaxed and you're your comfortable self and bullshitting with the guys. Like, do you ever see like a, a you know, media or news getting to that point? Like certainly not conventional media, but like non-traditional media, like where it's just like real people. And I think maybe you're seeing that with podcasts, but yeah. like real people talking about real shit in real ways, right? And, and I think that's, you nailed it. I was just going to say this format does that. It opens up and gives people another avenue to actually truly see, you know, these interesting people who they find fascinating uh, in a different light. Mm-hmm. But and here's the other scary thing about it. I knew a girl or I know a, a lady that was a broadcaster that was with uh, the Orlando Magic, I believe at the time when she was their sideline reporter or it was a Tampa Bay race, pardon me. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, when I met her, she was with the Celtics as their sideline reporter. And she did, I think, a Barstool podcast, mm-hmm. whatever it was. It went sideways. Some comments were made that right. were deemed inappropriate and yeah they were inappropriate and it cost her a job and she was kind of blacklisted and and now you know it's like a year or two later she put out an apology but it didn't matter right she now is doing motivational speeches and going around to universities and basically laying out what she did wrong and how it, it basically ruined her broadcast career even mm-hmm. though she was excellent at what she did um had a good rapport with the players and and just seemed to be on on the trajectory to the top yeah and and a couple of uh, comments on a podcast were perceived uh well they were bad they were bad comments she shouldn't have said them it was it was racist stuff and and she was trying to tell a story and be funny Mm. and and it just it it flopped and it cost her and so yeah you got to be careful that's a scary industry where you like you're not being 100% open and honest and vulnerable. So if you do let the odd things slip, then there's not therefore like enough context of who you are as a human being to protect yourself. Like if her whole career had been based on podcast format where people, you know, 99% of the podcast she was on weren't racist mm-hmm. and then she made this sort of like bad joke, people would have had the context to see like, look, she was just trying to be funny and she kind of flubbed it. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's scary to think that that you're so controlled and you have to be so careful of what you say, and therefore like one little mistake could screw you up, and then you're you're stuck in fear all the time, right? Oh. <laughs> and I came from a very sensitive organization, mm-hmm. and you had to be very leery of what you said. But I think and I feel as though I was able to toe that line and build a, a trust with the viewer and the listener and all the readers. Uh, associated with that company that you know I they could kind of see who I was and what message I was trying to convey and I wasn't BSing them yeah but there was a severe sensitivity and you had to be ultra careful even if you were saying things that you thought were just fine there Mm -hmm. were people raising their eyebrows now are there other organizations that are not like that and get it and are more progressive absolutely Mm -hmm. but yeah it it that fear exists and it's not a good way to 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 work and 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 have that hanging over your shoulder because how do do you push yourself and try new things if if you're always worried that you're going to get canned for saying one thing wrong yeah a hundred percent and i think that the sensitivity issue is just such a such an 
broad problem or such a pertinent problem nowadays because it's like, look, you have to risk offending people. If, If we don't say what we truly feel and think, then, and if I'm worried about offending you, then how do we have a progressive dialogue? Like in order to, if you have one viewpoint and I have a different viewpoint and we don't agree on something, if we don't have a discussion that might risk the other person disagreeing with, then how are we ever going to come to understanding one another or 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 come to a mutual mutually agreed conclusion? Right? right. Like you have to destroy in order to learn. You have to destroy what you know and reconstitute it, built up with other things. Totally. It's it's almost like there's no. It's not very constructive the dialogue now. Hmm. Everyone's just kind of saying something to appease the other person. Yeah without pushing it too far. And, you know, here's the example that comes to mind off the top of my head. I love what the Flyers are doing with Gritty. <laughs> like, it's, it's abs- it, is it the stupidest thing ever in terms of a mascot? Like, what is he? Yeah. I don't know, he's orange and he's fat and he has googly eyes. But the guy doing Gritty is, obviously has some kind of sass to him that, yeah. you know, they're like, hey, go, they said, hey, go and mess around with kids on push the kids on the ice put the kid you know all that's golden and and it kind of breaks the mold of what we've seen from professional sports teams lately don't be polished just go out there be be a little off call yeah and and look at how it how it's exploded and i guarantee you there are teams in the national hockey league and every other uh league out there that's looking at that and they're going to try to replicate it and it's going to be the next fad obviously Mm -hmm. and that's fine that's good that we're getting back to that but I, I've seen firsthand examples of um, companies, organizations saying, do not engage that other team right. whatsoever. It's don't shame. Don't build any battles. Don't yeah. make any headlines and make sure bar, uh, bar down and uh, bar stool or dead spin isn't publishing this as like a rift between yeah. teams because they're just so afraid. And it's a, such a missed opportunity. Exactly. There's, there's like it's like you're being penalized for having a bit of spunk and attitude. Yeah. Well, those organizations that you're talking about, like like Bar Down and Barstool and those people, they're saying what the fans are thinking. Yeah, like they're the average fan, right? Like they're they're getting out like real opinions, and that you know it's such a good barometer to what teams should be doing, and and yet you've got teams going the complete opposite direction, saying no, let's not embrace this, let's not take advantage of this, and I think like. Like, it's scary when you don't let people's opinions out because when you try and silence people, then they might have opinions that are just flat out wrong or, or um, you know, um, malicious. And then you don't know that those people are like that, right? Like, That's a good point. Like you want to encourage people to speak out even if what they're saying is absolute horseshit because A, how are they ever going to get corrected? B, how are, you, however, how are you ever going to know who the people full of shit are <laughs> yeah. if they're not given the opportunity to speak, right? It's like... It's like, you want to know someone's a racist? Well, you need to listen to them. <laughs> exactly. Right? If you if you shut them up and say you can't say those things, then they're going to continue being a closet racist. But if you get them out in the open and you understand, and then you know, then you can show them that the whole world disagrees with them or, or whatever, at least have a dialogue. But, you know, I, I don't know. We got I, off, the, off the rails. No, here. that's funny, though, because like in, in that, that's how you learn to gauge who's who in, in the broadcast industry or sports professional sports industry like 
you get away from the work conversations and then you just hear them, mm-hmm. how they speak to other people, how they deal with other people or the things they say. Mm-hmm. And this is how I kind of have my barometer for other people. I go, well, this guy's really smart, knows what he's talking about yeah. and is sharp. Or, or you hear them say something and go, well, this guy's an idiot. I'm not going to pay attention <laughs> to what they're ever going to say again. Yeah. And then that's how I built my assessment of these people. And, and I, I've worked with lots of people or I'm just like, wow, you're dumb. People uh, tell you exactly who yeah. they are if you just listen. Yeah. Right. And you just listen and observe and, you know, give them the chance because you can tell really quickly if someone's full of shit. And it doesn't take a lot to get them going. Mm-hmm. Just the hey, did you see this the other day? That was something, huh? And then they go like on this massive tangent and, you're, and just, you try to look at it. Just in the water. Yeah, <laughs> you put the, put the bait out and see who takes it. And you're not really, and you, you're doing it like, so you're harmlessly doing it, mm-hmm. just throwing something out there to make conversation. And then, you know, people either surprise you in a good way or in a bad way. And when they do it in a bad way, I always take a, like I chuckle and I go this, wow, I did not expect that from that person. Yeah. They are, uh, <laughs> falling down the pecking order in my yeah. uh, people I like. But it's good. I mean, it's, that's typical human nature is, is to, you know, have hierarchies in different ways and think like, you know, this person, I've got this high of opinion of this person. And that's why there's always a lot of stock to be, should be put in your interaction with someone and not what other people's opinion are. Oh, because, totally. You know, they might have had an off day or it could have been anything, right? Yeah. yeah. Rough situation or something. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what's next for Tom? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you can keep hearing me on TSN 1260. Uh, I'm Ryan Rashog's backup right now for TSN, and there's going to be some opportunity to be on camera there, which is great. Uh, as much as I love radio, you know. This guy's got a face and a hairstyle I, for camera. I'm trying to, to be out there. Yeah, so, I mean, TSN, they've honestly been awesome. Um, almost right away after my separation from uh, OEG, they were they were there and, and and said hey do you want to do some work for us mm-hmm. and then same with twelve sixty, um, and I said I had never done radio as a host before yeah, and I think it's gone well enough to the point where they're asking me to come back quite a bit and I'm very appreciative of that and it's been refreshing being back on this side of things. Yeah, and, I can imagine uh, you must oh. just have this weight like you know I you know, I don't have to like censor myself I don't have to be totally beholden to an organization right it it, that's the perfect way to describe it once I was done with with Oilers TV I'm like this feels good Mm -hmm. it feels like relief and uh, yeah TSN's welcomed me with open arms on both sides the radio and TV side and you know that's where I'm going to be doing my thing for the time being Um, you know as much as I love this city and it's always going to be home there isn't a lot of sportscaster jobs in the city left mm-hmm. and that's the way the industry is going so i got to be open to you know moving but this will always be home so for the time being I'm tsn slash 1260 guy whenever they need me and mm-hmm. thankfully it's often enough that it keeps me in the mix and i'm always at the rink covering the team which has been amazing and, and it's been nice to actually be able to voice you know my opinion about yeah. the team and surprisingly like i have to give credit to like fans or, or viewers and Twitter followers because you know it hasn't hurt my following and, and people when I say something about the team mm-hmm. it, I like the response they either love it or hate it like I got dumped on for <laughs> saying I don't like Miko Koskinen's rebounds yeah I still don't like them yeah that's fine and and he gets burnt on them but guess what he's winning and yeah. you know I, 
I'm okay with that. If you don't like my opinion, fine. Like we can have a good talk about it or we can go back and forth. And I've enjoyed that. And wow. You're like a young Brian Burke in the making. Oh my God. <laughs> no, I-, <laughs> I loved his comment about Carolina's uh, celebrations. Oh. He's like, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I just don't like it. Right. And then, <laughs> and then, like the, the hurricanes are, you know, talking about, or they're taking shots at Brian Burke and that's fine. That's, but that builds into that. Yeah. Like we talked about yeah. earlier, it's like, okay, we don't agree. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean we have to hate each other, but yeah. we can take shots at each other. At the end of the day, we, both, we all like hockey. We all like sports. Yeah. Let's go on our own ways and, and enjoy ourselves. But yeah, I've, enjoy, I've enjoyed that aspect of it. And actually, I think my follow, like I've had more followers follow me now that I'm not directly associated with the team. And For I sure. hope that continues. And I'm sure it will. Yeah. Get your voice out there. Uh, I think the Koskinen saves are weird. He's so tall. I think he, I was noticing this on Tuesday, like he makes weird saves, but he makes them, right? Yeah. And I think it's just because we're not used to seeing a goalie at that height, right? Uh, Could be. He's like six foot, what is he, six nine on skates, six, six ten? Yeah. He is massive. And you're right, there is some uh, awkwardness to his, the way he makes saves, but there's been some stinkers. And listen, the other, Cam Talbot's had a stinky season. We can't. We gotta call a spade a spade. But um, yeah, I mean, I. I That's why he's on the trading block. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, and his contracts up and all that. He's a great guy. He loves it here. He bought a house here and mm-hmm. he lives here twelve months of the year. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, the situation isn't good for him right now. Obviously, Ken Hitchcock has taken a liking to the guy who's surprise, surprise, getting the wins. Yeah. And that's what you got to do when you're in such a pressure-packed situation like the Oilers are in now. Because you got to win. It's you got the best player in the league. The fan, yeah, it's the pretty. Fans want it. They're hungry for it. It's pretty scary to think that you know if we're not trending in the right direction. It's like what you know. What is this all about? Like, what are we doing here? I don't know. I don't know if even going back to the drawing board is the right thing to do. I have no idea. It's this is so. I don't know if this has been seen before in pro sports. You know, I brought up Cleveland earlier. Maybe, maybe Cleveland, but oh man, uh, it just. But it's fun to talk about. Yeah, and I enjoy that, and I enjoy being able to to do it in different platforms where mm-hmm. I would not have been allowed. Yeah. Or if I did it, I'd be punished for it. Yeah. Which is ridiculous, but that's just my opinion. You're kind of in like the perfect situation now, where you can still go to the rink, still do most of the things you were doing. Yeah. And yet, just be yourself, right? Oh yeah. And is it kind of like a little bit of a fuck you to the people that, <laughs> that you were under your thumb before? Yeah. Yet you're still in the building every day. You're still it's, in the press box. And listen, like I like so many people over there. Still, I have nothing but respect for the hockey side. I know, I know the record there have that they've had is, is not up to uh, par, obviously, but. They are very good people who I built very good relationships with and maintain those relationships with, um, as well as people on the OEG side, mm. on the business side, that they're such good people um, and they're still my friends. Uh, but yeah, it is a bit of that, like, screw you guys, because you had me, Yeah, you didn't want me around anymore. Mm-hmm. Look who I'm working, like. Best revenge is living well. That's right. and. Um, it is nice, and and when I have an opinion about the team that someone else likes, like I go, listen, hey, Just drop it. It's your problem. Yeah, no, I don't care. <laughs> Why don't you do your own podcast? Someone has brought that up before. A few people have said that. I don't know. I don't know if I'm sure I'm fully capable of it. More than capable, I'm sure. <sighs> like I don't know. Maybe there will be a Tom Gazzola something something yeah. down the road, and we'll see how it goes. I, I'm still figuring things out. It, it's been. It's been a weird 
not not having not being fully associated with a, an organization or a network mm-hmm. and and that's where tsn's been good where it's like i'm kind of one of their guys and mm-hmm. uh even though i'm not a full-time guy but, but i am under that you know flying that flag and that umbrella to a certain extent yeah uh, and still trying at the same time to find the next full-time thing so it, it's kind of been weird and i, I don't know if i want to put myself out there if i do say the wrong thing and a, a network goes you know what we didn't like what you said i I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, but like I that's that's the thing I struggle with is that profession is like you got to be your unabashed un, like just totally true self. And someone out there is going to like that, right? Like I hope so. You know, so, some organization, someone like the gritty thing, right? Someone yeah. not saying you're gritty, but someone's going to take a chance of like you know what like this guy no matter who he's working for what he's doing he's always doing it 100% himself and honestly yeah and to me like anything less than that just seems fake and fraudulent and it's like that just doesn't seem sustainable long term I agree I see I know what you mean and yeah I maybe there maybe this was the push I needed to do it yeah I just and I just also think that the that the world is going that way. Totally. I think people are becoming more open and honest about things, and you're not able to hide things, right? Like yeah. you know, traditional media is fading, and it's just like, all right, well, what's next? Let's figure that out. Maybe get a head start on it. Yeah, right? you don't need you don't need a hundred thousand dollar camera and a five thousand dollar microphone unit to to make media anymore, mm-hmm. and and that's how good technology has become. And this platform has opened up a lot of things and some of the people that come from those more traditional means of media have done the best with this new wave and you know it's it's benefited them i mean i spitting chiclets <laughs> i like listening yeah. paul bissonette works for spock fox sports arizona mm-hmm. and he's out there dropping f-bombs and, oh yeah and talking about bringing home girls <laughs> there. you know some some good catches and some nights where yeah. you're like oh boy that was a mistake and i know we've all been there but uh, he's speaking openly about it on his podcast, and and then guess what? He goes back to Fox Sports the next day, and he's an analyst for Paul Coyotes. Ishin, yeah, yeah, and so maybe he is one of those guys that's kind of breaking those barriers in hockey, which is still a pretty conservative mm-hmm. um, sport, especially at the highest level. Um, and then Ryan Whitney's on that podcast. And yeah. You know what? He's not nothing like he was when he was in Edmonton. Is that right? I listen to him now. And I'm like, where was this Ryan Whitney right. when I was covering the team? Because I, I didn't like going and talking to him or approaching him for interviews. He would do them, but I was like, oh man, I don't have a good relationship with this guy. I don't, I don't know if he likes me or yeah. thinks I'm just a little, little shit running around. Yeah. Even though I'm roughly the same age as him, and I was new to the team, and, and there was a whole intimidation thing with being associated with the team and stuff like that that I had to get over but I listen to him now and I see him on NHL Network and I'm just like because I was on on NHL Network last week with him on and Jackie Redman and EJ Raddick and uh, I'm like you are completely different you Mm -hmm. you know whatever walls you had put up in your time in Edmonton are completely gone and he's funny thoughtful he's actually pretty sharp too And uh, maybe fucking uh, hates Edmonton. <laughs> well, you know, you know what though? He's always got a good shitty Edmonton yeah, story. He was there at a bad. He was here in a bad yeah. time. That should. I think that was part of it. He had the injury, right? He had such totally. a promising, quick little start with us. Yeah. And then 
one thing after another and that's gonna mess with the guy's head especially when you're younger right like yeah when you don't have that mental fortitude to say hey it's not me it's the situation you know i remember meeting his dad on one of the dad's trips dan is his name awesome guy just unbelievably awesome guy uh like a boston hard ass but big heart very friendly easygoing and i'm like what happened to ryan yeah and and now as I listen to him on, on his podcast and I see him on, on NHL Network or Sportsnet, I'm just like, there's his dad. Like, right. he, he's got that in him and it's good to see that he's unlocked that. And maybe it took life experiences, what happened here, mm-hmm. how his career ended, going to Russia, whatever, yeah. to, to figure that out. And, and I'm glad because he's the kind of guy now I'd be like, I want to have a beer with him now. For sure. Yeah, Whereas if you told me that eight years ago, I'd be like, nah, it's okay. I'm going to go do something with someone else like Bob Stoffer. <laughs> Bob's a good guy too, but you know, there's such a contrast between elite hockey player and just another broadcaster who you work with every day. Yeah, and um, absolutely. I mean, those guys are, are good at what they do and that's a perfect example of yeah. like, you know, that's just what people want to hear. That's, you know, you want to hear the stories. They tell the line well too, like they tell the stories but you know that there's more to those stories, oh. and it's you know it's it'll be interesting to see where that whole realm goes in the next like decade. People are gonna want more and yep. more and more, and I think people like, the players are kind of pulling back a little bit. So it's fair to say they're yeah. conservative. They yeah. are cool, well, Tom. I appreciate this. This has been awesome, and uh, hopefully it gives everyone a little bit more insight into the life of of Tom Gazzola and. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, people can find you on Twitter and two Z's in your last name. Yeah. yeah. No, no two L's. That's the one they confuse it with. They usually go one Z, two L's. Even some of my closest friends do it. How dare they? I know. But uh, yeah, this has been fun. Thanks for having me on. Cool, man. Well, I look forward to uh, hearing the next step in your journey. Thank you, sir. All right. Later. <laughs>